Welcome to the Writer's Room for Run Radio. I'm Trina Wilcox. My guest today, Edward Diganji. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Trina. It's nice to be here with you. Nice to have you. You've got a book that you've written, and it's a little bit different from a lot of fiction writers we have on. It's got some firsthand experience. And so tell me a little bit about what got you into writing and specifically sharing this story. Well, what got me into writing was, uh, you know, I've, I've always written a little bit here and there. Most of it was journal writing. So I had, I had written for an Appaloosa horse magazine, a fly fishing magazine, uh, contributing articles. But this is my first step into long form writing. And I, I tripped over a very interesting story that the more I pursued it, the bigger it got. And as I told friends about it, they kept shaking their heads saying, you really need to write a book. And 350 pages later, here we are. Here we are. Well, tell me about this story and how you say you stumbled on it. How did that happen? Yeah, I, stumble is probably a... a <laughs> Not the appropriate way to say it, but I, I was adopted at the time of my birth in May of 1948. So, you know, I'm I'm approaching my 75th birthday now, which is very hard to believe. Yeah. And I, I had known all my life that I was adopted and I had a I had a wonderful adoption experience. Many people do not. Mm -hmm. uh, mine was mine was could not have been much better. And I, I really never questioned the adoption. I never puzzled very much about who my mother was. I virtually never thought about who my father might have been. And uh, we were up in New Jersey, my wife and I, and her, her father had unfortunately passed away. And we were up there interring his remains. And nearby was a Russian Orthodox cemetery where my adoptive mother's family was all interred. Uh, they they were Ukrainian. My adoptive dad was Sicilian, so it was kind of an interesting combination of the two. But we went to visit at that cemetery, and I was standing over the uh, the gravestone of my adoptive mother's parents, and I just started getting curious about wouldn't it be interesting to know more about their background, and hence, even though I was adopted, my own background, and that. That was stimulated by a couple of things. But when we got back to North Carolina, where we live, I, I went to the local library. I got onto their edition of Ancestry.com and started plugging in names. And, you know, in fairly short order, came up with a, a good amount of information on my adoptive grandfather, uh, plugging in my grandmother's name, same experience. And I sat there thinking, you know, that I, in 70 years at that point, had really not given much thought to my adoption. But I said, I wonder if this would lead me to the identity of the woman who had placed me for adoption. And I, I had the great benefit of my adoption having been privately arranged. And my adoptive parents had the paperwork or the decree of my adoption. And I had seen it once as a very young child, never really looked at it again, but we had that paper. And I knew that it contained my parents' names, the name of their attorney. And there was one other name, which I just knew in my heart. I said, that must've been the woman who gave me up. 
So I went, got that name, came back to the library, plugged it in, and and that's where this journey began, really. Oh, wow. So what was it like? What was it like to learn this, this personal stuff about you and your family? And then also in the back of your mind thinking, do I document this for a book? Or did you know you were going to write it down? No, I had no thoughts of writing a book. My, you know, my, my thought about who my mother was, was, you know, I think probably a lot of people would have the same thing. I thought she was a, a high school girl who unfortunately accidentally got pregnant. And in that baby scoop era had been sent someplace, had the baby, gave me up and, and went about her life. And when mm -hmm. I started investigating, I found it was anything at all, a, a, but that story. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so when I plugged her name into Ancestry, I got a screen full of of opportunities to click on. You know, there were census records, and I actually saw a marriage certificate that was dated several years after I was born. But the one that intrigued me was a visa application traveling from Miami, Florida to Rio de Janeiro 10 months after I was born. And I said, okay, this is the one that's most recent. Let me see what it tells me. And when I clicked on it, that an image of that application came up, written in Portuguese, but com completed in, yeah, with all the information in English. So it gave me her name. It gave me her parents' names, gave me a street address where she lived. And it gave me her, her birth date, which told me at the time that I was born, she was 23 years old. So she had not been a high school girl. Right. And it listed a profession. It was an artista, okay. which didn't help me a great deal at the time. And the big piece on it was a, you know, a passport type photograph. And I was sitting there in the library looking at my birth mother and she was looking back at me from that screen. And that was a, you know, I kind of looked around me to see if anybody else was looking and there's no reason anyone should care. But that was that was quite a that was quite a moment. Yeah, I imagine. So did did you start feeling differently then about all of that? Or did you have a very understanding, compassionate heart towards it? I, I would say yes to both. You okay, know, yes. Sure. That's fair. Yes, when I saw the birth date because it 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 said something other than what I had thought. Right. Uh, yes, when I saw the artista, that just piqued my curiosity. And, you know, and as this investigation went on and I learned more and more, uh, yeah, there was a definite increasing warmth in my heart toward toward the experience that uh, that she had that led to my coming into the world and, and winding up where and how I did. So at what point... Did you decide to go ahead and make a book about it since you were just working through the discovering and learning and then processing it yourself? When did you decide, I think I can put this out and share it? Yeah, um, I originally started by just documenting the search. That's all I had ever really anticipated. And I was in a memoir class. So once every couple of weeks, I had to show up with something on on paper. And yeah, which is a great thing. I think if anybody needs advice on how to write a book is give yourself some deadlines and give, give yourself some people you have to answer to. Yeah. 
But I started documenting the search. And then the more I found about what kind of artista she was and what was going on in that era, and I was telling people, that's when people started saying, that's really interesting. You need to write it down. And eventually I had a very interesting set of essays about my search and a very interesting set of discoveries that I had made about, about her and what she was doing in that time. And the two of them ultimately came together as a, as a book. So did you continue to just document and make notes as you're writing process progressed as you know just being an author or do you just write when the whim hits you uh well there, i'm holding up a composition ah, book you, uh, you know i've got four of those that i filled in the process of of doing the research here not the oh. not the prose part of it just just the just the discoveries that i made and then what i learned that that i detailed in the book you know my mother left her home as a 17 year old in New York City at the age of 17 and traveled across the country alone by train to join up with a group in Vancouver, British Columbia. So the types of things I captured there is, you know, what were those train schedules like? What was happening in the various train stations along the way? And, and once she united with that group, you know, what, where did they go and what did they do? Give me just a second here. I'm having yes. a technical okay. issue on my side. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. That's not a problem. <laughs> All right. So everyone does have their own process with, you know, deciding, all right, I'm going to first, I've, I've decided to write it, but then how did you come to terms with how you would publish? Cause that's something that everyone sometimes struggles with. They don't always know right off what they're going to do. Well, you know, my, my first thought was I'll do it. I'll do it. Every bestseller does. We'll go to the big five houses and get one of them to, to make me an offer and then publish the book. So I, I ultimately queried 80 agents oh, wow. and I got three responses from the 80. Okay. Two of them were send me another chapter. Let us look. Okay. One of them was send me the entire manuscript. Oh, dear. And ultimately, none of them responded. Oh. And I was sitting there saying, I could keep on doing this. I said, I'm also almost 70 years old and life is very short. Hmm. And I then I, I spoke with some of the hybrid publishers that were out there. And, you know, these are people with with whom you share the expenses and they will they will put in the work of, of editing and and producing your book and getting it out into distribution. And, you know, by that point, I had educated myself fairly well about self-publishing. Yes. 
And I started to stack up the cost of hybrid versus the cost of doing it myself. Mm -hmm. And how much more would those hybrid publishers actually do for me than I could do myself? And I just one day said, let's go for it. And it was time to go and self-publish. Awesome. Uh, I came up with a press name. I went out and I bought my ISBNs. Uh, I found myself a a book designer, you know, someone who does the formatting. I was very fortunate to find an excellent editor uh, because I, I had foreseen the book as part one as being my search and part two being what it was I discovered. And she, you know, she went back and she went through it and got back in touch and said, I want to make a, a very big suggestion to you in terms of changing your layout. And what she suggested was interleaving the process with the discoveries, sort of, sort of like shuffling the two as a deck of cards. And we went with that and it worked just beautifully. The book just flowed. You know, Hi. it wasn't finished the first part. Yeah, take a break and then start the second part. It just keeps on going. Good. Well, I'm glad that you felt confident to do it and get your story told in that way. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. And the story has been, you know, people love the story. I I just a couple of days ago presented to a book group at one of our our senior communities and young, and you always get the people who say, I, I haven't been at this place for 35 years and you made it come alive. Oh, cool. I talk about the Horn and Hard Art, Hard Art Automats in New York City. And that used to be where you'd go and, you know, the food was behind windows in a wall and you would go put nickels in to release your food. Yeah. And the woman was just amazed. She said, I hadn't thought about the automat in 30 or 40 years, she said, and I never, never thought about what you said was behind them. She said, I used to go there and I would love to order that. So oh, yeah, that's a, cool. it's a it's such a rewarding thing to hear that the book brings certain things to life for people. So have you thought about another project? Yes, I have. You know, I, I to take a quick step back, you know, when I discovered, when I really delved in, I I found out that my, my birth mother had passed away about three years prior to, to my starting my search. And she had been a celebrity performer that was the artista yes. in the very, in the big ice spectaculars of the ice skating spectaculars of the 1940s and the 1950s. And what I learned is within a couple of months after surrendering me for adoption, she went back to ice skating and she, you know, her first gig was with uh, an organization called Ice Vogues and they toured the US, but also the Caribbean and South America and Europe. So there was lots to write about there. But, you know, when you talk about the the, the heartwarming piece, I think in, in writing the book, I became very, very aware of what a woman who gives up a child for adoption actually experiences. Mm. And I realized it was not a one-time experience. It was not just give up the child and walk away. Mm -hmm. It was give up that child and carry the thoughts of that pretty much for the rest of your life. And I've been interviewing a lot of birth mothers and, and that's the experience all of them relate. Mm. So I, I am writing a sequel to this, 
And it does two things that number one traces where it was she went and who she was with. But it also contains a series of diary entries which talk about her experiences on the road as well as emotionally, you know, looking mm -hmm. back and, you know, when a child is four and five and six years old, you know, what are you thinking when his birthday comes around? Mm -hmm. What are you thinking when your own child's birthday comes around? You know, and every, you know, all these women who I talk to talk about shame and humiliation and anger and sorrow. And, and I, I sense there's a lot of that. And I, I don't have any belief at all that my birth mother ever told anybody about me. Uh, she she managed her pregnancy in secret other than with the support of her oldest sister and her sister's husband. And I don't have any belief that she even told her husband once she married. And yeah, of course, that that's a gut reaction. But when mm -hmm. I met, I, I met a maternal half brother. You know, oh, did he, you? oh, yeah, he and I talk all the time. Yeah. And at first he had a hard time understanding what I was telling him. Mm. And he just he had his mother on such a pedestal. He could just not picture it. And once he did, you know, I I asked he obviously knew nothing. And later on, I met several first cousins. And the first question I would ask each one of them, you know, not with any any you know, prelude, I would say, tell me what you know about my adoption. Yeah. And they would all look puzzled and shake their head and say, didn't know a thing, you know, and if anybody in our family knew about it, the whole family would have known. So I, you know, I have a real firm belief that, you know, I was the secret. Do you suspect that it was her career that forced her to keep it such a secret? There was pressure well, from coaches or. No, I like don't. That? I don't believe there were any pressures that way. My mother gave birth to me in a private hospital that discreetly catered to, to people who needed discretion, a lot of people mm. in the public eye. And she was, yeah, she was given the options of deliver your baby and take him home. And there would have been great shame and humiliation. She came from a conservative Roman Catholic Polish family who would probably never have forgiven her. Uh, take your baby and stick him in a knapsack and go back on the road with him. And that was really not a very practical mm -hmm. solution. She was offered the opportunity to terminate the pregnancy. And I, I know that where she was would have, would have facilitated that. Really? And I think based on her, her upbringing, you know, she had gone through eight years of Catholic school that would not have floated or adopt your child, you know, surrender your child for adoption. And there's a whole very intricate and unique story about my, how my adoption came to, to take place. And it was people knowing people. And I, I just wound up in, a, in the right place. Very good. Oh, I'm glad that you were able to tell your story and you've got more story to tell. So please come back when you're ready to share your next release with us. Oh, I certainly will, Trina. It's a pleasure talking with you, and I always love to talk about the story. Sounds great. Thank you so much, and come back anytime. Thank you, Trina. It's a pleasure. Hey, before we go, tell people where they can go ahead and find your book, though, if they well, want. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do have a website. It's www.degangiauthor.com. 
and it's D-I-G-A-N like Nancy, G-I. Uh, the book is available from the website. I'd be happy to send out a signed and personalized copy there. The book is available through all of the all of your favorite independent booksellers. They can order it if they don't have it. And it's available through all the electronic retailers. Amazon certainly will will get it to you tomorrow if you like. <laughs> and and the book is also available in digital format, you know, either to download. And many libraries have it either on Hoopla or on Overdrive. So it's it's readily yep. available for you. Great. Thanks so much, Edward. Appreciate it. Thank you, Trina. It's been a pleasure talking with you.